the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And, of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means. And yet, I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand, and that's probably a good thing. Because there are aspects about grace that go so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God, in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans 3 and 23, dead in our transgressions, and yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners... God sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf that through that substitutionary work on the cross we might not only be saved and forgiven but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the Daily Call-In radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And, Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together. It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible this grace is that God has shown toward us And the totality of what it means is we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us, um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this. Oh, Craig, absolutely. Um, Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity? And they always choose the word grace. 
Um, because e- even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just cr- uh, scratched the surface. And, and grace is one of these big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big Jesus is, that's when you start to get a idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject, the uh, most important word in the in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the word God itself. Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, sometimes you, you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience, that God showed his grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary. We can uh, partake of that grace in our salvation experience, and then once one once it's done, it's done. Is it, is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience? Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And oh, yes. he said this, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace grace of God... I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I, I find that's when, you know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've, you know, I have this restlessness inside. But every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means in, in my everyday life, things start to settle down and, and, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in, in your mind. So I don't think we can ever get away from grace. I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicate it as kind of first grade stuff, but really it is it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life. Your book title, uh, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this. And I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it, it it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we? No, I don't think we can fully under, understand it because it's it's really the essence of who Jesus is. And so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ and growing in the grace of God and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace and then... Uh, you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when He comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy, just when you think of that, then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is. Break it down in terms of, of understanding um what this means when we talk about grace, um, we say unmerited favor, and uh, people might think, well, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway, or <laughs> help us better understand that. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or 
uh, a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um, so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve. Grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, so grace is this very present, active word in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual death is a big problem. We don't deserve life. There's nothing that we could do to merit life. There's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves. So God, in his grace, has to reach down to us, even though we were dead, and make us alive together with Christ. So that's the first aspect of God's grace. It's, you know, when you read that uh, passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's, it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Well, the whole context of that passage is going from death to life that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's grace. He gives us what we did not deserve. And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, By his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up, he encourages us, he gives us a brand new identity, he helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our lives. So I, I like to say that most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in, in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word uh, tied to Jesus Christ, His Spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is. Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher, the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I I think is an amazing one and will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, You talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, the judge shows his quote-unquote grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that. 
Oh, absolutely. It is, it is Christ himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this, God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power, empower us to live in this world as his children. So we we can't do that on our own, and that's that's where I missed it for so long, Craig. I I was trying to live out the the Christian life with the old adage, "Try harder." Every time I fell on my face, I'd get up and make promises to God, and you know I would just give it my best shot, trying as hard as I could to live the Christian life. And the harder I tr- I tried, the tighter sin's grip became in my life. And when I finally understood the grace of God as as being more than merely a covering for the past, that's when the Christian life started to make sense. That's when I really discovered how it was supposed to work. Jesus Christ living his life in and through us. And I think that's what much of the Christian world misses as far as the gospel message is concerned. Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You, you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the, the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in, in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being a, like a self-help program or a self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of, of Joel Osteen. It sounds to me oftentimes like an Anthony Robbins seminar without walking on hot coals and, and and you have to pay, of course, or contribute to the uh, to the offering plate at some point during the service. But it it almost well, it doesn't almost it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of, as you suggest, not just withholding punishment, but then giving to us. It it really short circuits and robs us of the fullness of His grace when we see it as just this sort of self and help or self improvement program. Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, you can slice it every way you, you can, and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace through faith in Jesus. Um, And we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And, And here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from, you know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord, those who believe the Lord. That's the one thing that God is looking for from us, a heart that believes him. And in that faith, 
all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives. But why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt? And it, it, it becomes, I, I think, of we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV. And you watch these guys go in white water rafting, and all of a sudden they're heading down, and they think they're having the grand old time, and all of a sudden the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves suddenly out of control and running off the edge like you're about to head you know right over the the edge of the I don't know uh, Niagara Falls or something and, and suddenly you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control how, how do you how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast well, Craig, that's a great uh, that's a great point, and and boy, a beautiful an- analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, you know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his his first letter, and he says, "Perfect love casts away that fear." And if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in Christ, we first have to settle that forgiveness issue. We have to recognize that the blood of Jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all. Um, That is, I think, one of the most critical truths that that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon. And that's the fact that when we receive Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there, that's when fear can take hold of my life. And we're going to pause on that point. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, Binaka story. I think it'll, it'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that his grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy and unlovable. And there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Bob Christopher as this edition of Life line continues and now back to lifeline with craig roberts simple gospels simply grace bob christopher my guest on this segment of lifeline and uh, bob as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy unlovable sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable with the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt uh, you've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, binaka which i have to be honest with you when i first saw it i thought oh i remember that didn't realize they still made it <laughs> but tell us a bit about that story i think it ideally helps illustrate this part. Well, well, Craig, it it was uh, 
an experience in seventh or eighth grade, I got involved in a shoplifting gang, and we would go into drugstores and and we would just steal things, things that we didn't need. And one of those things that we stole quite often uh, was this little breath freshener spray called Banaka. Well, one night, uh, Friday night, I spent the night with my friend David, and we went out and went to one of those stores, and we stole some Banaka, and we stole a lock. Why? Just for the challenge of it, I guess. And uh, so we came back home, and, you know, I went home the next day, and as, as things would have it, David's mom went into his room and started cleaning up, and, he, and, and she found the lock, and she asked David, uh, where'd you get this? And uh, he said, well, we stole it. And you know he just he just he just caved like any person would, and uh, you know as moms do, um, you know she dug a little deeper, and and David told the whole story about you know Bob actually stole it, and we got Banaka too, and so she uh, you know tried to figure out what to do, and then she picked up the phone and called my mom. And uh, that next Monday, I was delivering papers. Uh, I had skipped out on my band band rehearsal. I was a truant, so, you know, I'm a thief and a truant. And, uh, you know, Mom's not real pleased with me. And uh, she says, get in the car. And I'm like, no, it's a beautiful day. And finally, she says, Banaka. And I was just done. I unraveled right then and there and knew I had been caught. And, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way and uh, mom and dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that I had stolen something from and I was going to get in front of the manager and confess what I had done and they were going to leave my punishment in these managers hands and fortunately for me they were lenient and just required that I pay back uh, pay them the money for the things that I, I stole which I did um, but that didn't relieve my guilt because I knew, you know, my sin held something with God. And at that point, I just walked on eggshells wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner. And that fear just overcame me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so I had this formula. I'd confess. I would 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 ask God to forgive, and then I would ask Christ to come back in my life. And I probably prayed 500 different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life, because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, I went to a Bible study, and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead and your transgressed transpasses and sins he made you alive together with christ he forgave all your sins and that forgiveness just poured over me just washed over me and finally i rested in the finished work of jesus and that fear of punishment went away because i knew jesus had taken my punishment for me and in exchange for that he gave me his righteousness that's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about. God giving to us what we do not deserve. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence 
as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Let's get to some calls. We're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher. Oh, the Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much, um, or or putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in of itself. But my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, how do you um, somehow experience God's grace? Not, not like the everyday grace, where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever, but... God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day AM 1100 KFAX. walking with us. Um, I I don't know if I asked that right. I just I'm yeah. not talking well, I think about. I, I'm, I'm following what you're saying there, uh, Lee. As as far as how we experience the grace of God, I, I think the first way we experience it is 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 by resting in His finished work. You know, most of us are are tense inside, we're anxious inside, because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest uh, inside of us. So that's the first way we experience it. And then we experience it... um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of, of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that what the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a, a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through His eyes and people through His eyes. And we get so caught up on you know, in morality and trying to make the world a better place, but God sees people's hearts, and He and He sees people in one of two ways: you either belong to Him or you're still lost and dead in sin. And when we see it from God's perspective, then our hearts start to melt and we want to reach out with that gospel message. So the the grace just gives us, um, I, I think, deeper insight into the very heart uh, of, of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee? Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I, I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and, and when she was in the temple with Eli, and, and she just poured out her heart, and, and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case, I, I know I'm saved, and I'm in the Bible often and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how can I put it, like answer to prayer more than just, in, in our area, maybe it's just 
this area. It seems like there's a lot of Christians, but we're kind of impotent. Well, I think you're I think you're right because um, you know our greatest asset, as far as believers are concerned, is is a knowledge of God. We really know what God is like because Jesus Christ has has made that known to us. You know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And so as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and as we grow in our knowledge of who he is, I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just, uh, just make it your prayer that, Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow... In, in the knowledge of who you are, and I guarantee you that's a prayer he will answer, and you will see that being answered in time. Very helpful. All right, we appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this, too, is, is, is the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we, we, at a level, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize that we are in need of, of forgiveness, uh, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and and yet it's difficult for us sometimes, once having had his grace extended to us, to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I, I got a kick in your book. You make reference to this. I think shows the, the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the Forgiveness Project. Yes, yes, they do. And, and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and, uh, you know, normal relationships. And they're discovering that that's, that that's the case. Um, but, but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves. And, and it's interesting when you, when you scour the Word of God, there, there's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now. Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website, too, simplegospelsimplygrace.com. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program, Basic Gospel. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I think we've all been through it. In fact, you might be going through it right now. The pain of not just being offended by the uh, the actions of another individual, but 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 downright injured 
by their actions. In some cases, it might be intentional, meaning that they are engaging in behavior to intentionally cause harm to you or embarrassment or awkwardness uh, to, to offend you in some fashion. In a majority of the cases, though, it, it's somebody who has not made good choices, not taken into consideration the potential impact of the poor choices that they have made and the ripple effect, like the proverbial pebble in the water, how it travels across, and the further out it gets, the bigger the wave, the greater the impact. Other people's choices can range from careless to cruel to thoughtless to downright depraved. The question then for we as believers is, how do you deal with all this? How do you respond to it? Um, how, how do you go about finding hope in the midst of that uncomfortable experience or uh, sometimes life-changing event, and at the same token, reach down inside of you and be able to extend forgiveness. We are reminded in the Father's Prayer that we should forgive others as we have likewise been forgiven by the Lord. But sometimes as you're surviving the fallout of other people's choices, that's a very tall order. Joining us to discuss this is Cynthia Rupti. Cynthia is the author of a brand new book called Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. And Cynthia, great to have you back again. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, I'm I'm reading through the new book here, um, Surviving the Fallout of Other People's Choices, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, let me make a list of the people (laughs) Mm -hmm. who maybe didn't intend to, uh, you know, in, intentionally engage in some behavior or action that would cause fallout or uh, injury back to me, but that was the end result. And trying to work through all of that as you're suddenly finding yourself picking up the pieces of somebody else's mistakes or bad choices. And I guess this runs the gambit of the husband who decides that... Uh, you know, playing around on a spouse is an okay thing to do, and as a result, that marriage falls apart because of the infidelity, and the children are caught in the wake to, uh, you know, a, a child who's abusing drugs, and suddenly now you've got grandkids that you now have to raise as your own because your son or daughter, the true parent, is finding themselves, you know, uh, as a, maybe a, a guest of the state in which you live. Mm-hmm. Tough stuff. And and we all know people like that. They're either within our own families or there has been a season when we've been that person who's been injured by someone else or there are people that we know of in our neighborhood, some of whom don't have the Lord to lean on for their source of hope. It's people that we hear about on the news, but... But all of the stories that are written in the book, uh, Ragged Hope, Surviving the Fallout of Other People's Choices, they're real people, and they're all dear to me. These people are very dear to me. So their courage in sharing their stories, uh, all of our hope is that it will be that those stories will in some way have some impact on helping other people learn how to find those holding on places when it seems like there are none. You know, the tough part of this, I think, for a lot of us is it, it's, it's difficult enough sometimes to deal with the fallout of our own poor choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Scripture is very clear that the wages of sin is death. 
um, that you know, indeed, we can find hope and, and forgiveness in a reconciled relationship with God through the work of his son on the cross on our behalf, paying the price that we should have paid. Um, and yet, that doesn't always mean that we escape. We might, while we might escape the eternal consequences of sin once we find forgiveness in Christ, of course, uh, but that doesn't always mean that we are able to escape the um, the consequences of sin here on earth. The the lifelong alcoholic who eventually comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ might well eventually still die from cirrhosis of the liver. That is the consequence of poor choices. But that's on us. It's when it's somebody else's poor choices. And this may not be something, as I mentioned earlier, Cynthia, where they intended to hurt us, but that was the end result. It's hard sometimes to dig down and say, Father, I want to forgive them, but wow, look at the mess now. I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly on their cleanup committee, and I don't remember signing up for this. And even beyond that, sometimes the person who is the perpetrator, if we want to use that word, even if it was just an, a, a mistake, a, a truly a, an, an error that they had no intention of making us bear these consequences, sometimes that person's fallout is so little compared to what... And they're oblivious, oh, perhaps, to the, to the harm that they've caused us, or just dismissive. Completely. They may not even care that they caused that kind of a fallout for us. Or they, they've gone on with their lives. They have no idea the, the impact that has been in our daily lives, every daily decision, the expense financially that we pay, the, the price we pay emotionally for what they did. So, and, and then are caring about the, the others that they have left in the aftermath of their unwise choices. It, it really is a heartache that is a, it, it, there's nothing quite like that. There's nothing quite parallel to that. As you said, when we sin ourselves, we go and ask forgiveness. Sometimes we bear the, this tremendous guilt or burden of, of shame because we have caused fallout for someone else. And there's, that's another whole subject by itself, but in this particular instance where I was reminded of what it was like to see that cloud of choking ash come rushing down the street after the Twin Towers fell. And seeing people who were caught up in that cloud, they could not breathe, and they couldn't find a place to breathe. They were covered in the dust and ash of it all, and there was no place they could go to find a place to take a a breath. That's oftentimes how we feel when we're caught up in the middle of this neck high or higher than that layer of the fallout ash when Somebody has made a choice, one of these kinds of choices. Let's give an example of a a suicide. The pain in the heart and the emotional state and the mental state of the person who chooses suicide, thinking that's an out for their own pain, has left this trail of despair and AM 1100 KFAX. That they could AM 1100 KFAX. And we, we know that many of them, when they're caught up in a, when, when a, a suicide, um, someone contemplating suicide, when they get caught up in that 
depth of pain and they see no AM 1100 KFAX. They are not measuring in their minds and their souls and their hearts the kind of fallout there would there will be for the rest of time in the family members that are left behind, those who are aching, wondering what they could have done to have made a difference, those who every holiday is different, every day of their lives are different because of what because of that choice that single decision and you really end up stacking the emotions one on top of another don't you i mean for example it's one thing if we talk about the death of a child some listeners in the audience can perhaps relate to what a painful experience that is i mean as as we understand life um you meet fall in love get married have a child in that order they eventually grow up, and then you grow older, and then they bury you. Mm. For that to be reversed, not only now does the parent have to deal with loss, but stacked on top of the loss may be resentment mm. from what has been taken away from them, um, anger, a sense of maybe even seeing, you know, no wonder, the, the, the root of bitterness, it, it finds itself in such fertile soil when you're thinking, how, how can you, we've given you everything as our child, been available to you in every way, and you've suddenly engaged in this most selfish act, mm. and here we are now left in the wake of that. And as I say, Cynthia, I think the challenge here is that oftentimes people People just get caught in this quagmire of, of emotion, and no wonder that this is this can be such a, um, a block Streaming even to our relationship with God as we're trying to get all the questions the to, uh, or find the answers, rather, the questions, many of which perhaps will never be answered. Mm-hmm. So true. We know, and we know from God's Word, that hope can't breathe bitter air. It can breathe despite disappointment and devastation and and that great, deep, piercing heartache, but it gets smothered by hatred and bitterness and anger and resentment and all those things that you were listing. But we're in this place then, if we're in the place of that agony, for us to be told, here's what you should do, is probably going to deepen our despair. If we're told this is, uh, this is what you need and we feel no energy to be able to even grasp the, the offer of hope that is held out to us, that's a very, very difficult place to be. But also we know from our perspective, sometimes that hope we're looking for seems very ragged. It seems like there's practically nothing left to it. From God's side of the picture, it is as strong and as sure as it has ever been. And sometimes the only thing we have to hang on to is clinging to the truth of what we know for sure. I remember when my, my um, children were little, and they would be solving, trying to solve a math problem or a science problem, or they would be uh, trying to problem solve something else that was going on in their lives. And it would get more complicated and more tangled. And I often would say to them, let's start with what you know for sure. And it's such a wonderful problem-solving principle. So they would start there at the point of what they knew 
And pretty soon, as those pieces began to come together, one after the other, of what they knew for sure, what they could trust and believe in, they could get the problem solved. They could get to the end of what they were looking for. Now, we don't want to oversimplify it for the listeners who are thinking, this is this is a Streaming now on iHeart.com. Streaming now on iHeart.com. What we know for sure, hanging on to the God of hope, the one who even when when we're in the middle of a very vulnerable place and we feel like we're sticking out there and, and all the arrows and darts are aimed at us and we just can't catch our breath, he is still the one who is our source of hope. Sometimes all we can do is just repeat that to our soul, even as David did in the Psalms, is just Tell our soul the truth while we're trying to wade through the worst of this. And a lot of it is coming down to developing the ability to differentiate, because I think a lot of times when we get caught in the middle of this this pain and there's so much tremendous disappointment mm-hmm. that we kind of assign blame everywhere, including God. Mm-hmm. Streaming and now on iHeart.com. This individual in our life, it's a spouse, it's a child, it's a sibling, whatever, has broken promises and as a result shattered some dreams. Mm-hmm. But we have to differentiate between their actions and God's actions. Mm-hmm. And we do serve a God of hope, even at times when those around us might try to steal hope from us. We'll talk about that when we come back. Cynthia Rukti is with us tonight. Her latest book, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. Today we go a bit deeper into surviving the fallout of other people's choices. Wow. We've all been down that road, haven't we? Maybe that sin was not intentionally toward us, but we felt the wake of their bad choices, and we feel as if somehow we're paying their price. Wow. How's that for a sense of injustice? This is like the proverbial automobile accident that damages your car, gives you whiplash, sends you to the hospital, and the drunk driver walked away without a scratch. Where's the justice in that? A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 